I think, I think we're set. Good to see you. You look phenomenal. And just, so, so when I get a moment just to, just to look you over, those of you in, in the tables, you just look so at peace. You're just like kicked back and having a little, ah, I've got my coffees. It's good to be in church and experiencing the peace of the Lord. Hey, welcome to those of you in the online worship experience. We're so glad that we're gathered together. Okay, a couple re-invitations to you. Uh, The Feast of Tabernacles experience we're going to have. We're in this series on tabernacles, but there's a dynamic that the the Hebrew people, they gathered and ate together. And so on Wednesday night, November 2nd, we're going to do a gather together and eat together and have a worship teaching experience. So, So let us know if you're able to come to that and we'll be prepared for you. And then following the service today, let me re-invite you if you want to hear a little bit more about the Biblical Counseling Center concepts and the remodel that goes with that. We've changed locations in the studio on the other side of the building, but just 15 minutes after the service. Well, let's launch into the teaching. We are in a series on tabernacles, and we're going to be talking about the furnishings in the tabernacle. This is furniture that went into the tabernacle. So the book of Exodus, and we're really looking at verses, sorry, chapters 25 through 40. But the book of Exodus begins in this gallant, regal fashion. The, the, the Hebrew people are enslaved, and God delivers them. There's 10 smackdown conversations that happen with Pharaoh, and they are released and delivered. They go through the Red Sea on dry ground. They go into these wilderness moments. God miraculously provides water and quail and manna for them. There's this moment where they come to Mount Sinai. God is at the top. There's a blaze of fire, and Moses treks up to the top. There's this conversation where the ten words of life, the ten commandments are given, and uh, that is just like, wow, this is incredible, and then you get to chapter 25, and it's, it's blueprints for a big tent called the tabernacle that God is going to dwell in. It's a completely different kind of kind of pace and kind of like, whoo, you know, there goes the narrative. We're just kind of into, into, into engineering plans right now. Um, and when, when God began telling the story of how God works in the lives of his people, very, page one, Genesis chapter one, we find that, that every time that God creates, God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then when you show up, it winds up being very good. The, the, the blueprints to the tabernacle are, are a throwback to page one in the Bible, where heaven and earth meet, and where we meet with God, and it winds up being very good. The tabernacle was built to help shape the minds and the hearts that we would once again have a relationship like, like God experienced in Genesis 1 with the people that he loved. So um, here's what I want you to I want you to say to yourself, when I show up, it's very good. Because that's God's intent. You can say it humbly and softly, but go ahead. Say it to yourself, when I show up, it's very good. That's God's intent. When God's at work in you, that's what goes down. You, you image bearer of God. Now, if there's somebody sitting beside you, you can think of somebody. You say, when you show up, it's very good. Give him a little jab. Give him a little nudge, nudge. When you show up, it's very good. Excellent. That's what God wants. As some of you went, boom, shakalaka shove. That's right. <laughs> Bring it, man. Show up and be good. Okay. Um, so read with me these two verses, verses 8 and 9, 
of Exodus chapter 25, and let's do it with a little bit of umpha. Here we go. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then roughly close to 15 chapters of instructions on just how to do that. Um, so there's... Let me ask you this question. Do, do the furnishings in your home say something? Uh, do the furnishings in your home say something? We'll get to that in a little bit. The furnishings in the tabernacle, there's seven of them. And there's seven furnishings with intent because the number seven represents and brings us back to the week of creation. It's mindful that God is creating and recreating us, and we need to step into that and live into that. It's, it's designed that way. Um, so what do the furnishings in your home say? Because the furnishings in the tabernacle sure say something. I'm going to tell you about a couple of architectural designs that uh, I've been around that I find interesting. In the town I grew up in, Bartlesville, Oklahoma, there is a building called the Price Tower. It's, the town's like 40,000 people. But it was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. And having grown up in that town, like, Frank Lloyd Wright, did, I mean, it's just like, it just permeates the place. Uh, if those of you are watching, just like, uh, the, the Price Tower seems like it is a big deal in, in that area. Well, it was built in the early 1950s, and it was a project that he had shelved that was supposed to be on the Manhattan skyline. So instead, it winds up in this prairie town of 40,000 in, in Oklahoma, this oil town, uh, because they had the money that they could put it up in a, in a smaller scale. And so it says, like, yeah, we're, you know, we're big time, little time. You know, here they got this Manhattan style, you know, little skyline here in, in the middle of Oklahoma. So, you know, just they say something. Um, there's a place in Wabasha, Minnesota named the Anderson House. I, I looked, I, I know of this place, and I looked it up to get some details. Um, built in the late 1800s, here's, here's, their, here's their little catch. If you rent a room there for the night, on the, right on the Mississippi River, you can get a cat. A cat. You can get a cat. For an upcharge, you can get a cat if you want to stay with you, and it can be your cat for the duration of your stay. Um, lo and behold, they went out of business uh, a few years ago. Uh, they're out of business, and uh, they, they say that it's haunted. The Anderson house is haunted, and there's still cats there. Of course it's haunted. You put cats in the place. Of course it's haunted and for sale. And what do you say? Okay. So, you know, says something about the place, the furnishings that are in it. Uh, just in Shea Manis, in our home, our youngest had an assignment once for English, how many books are in your house? I got excited. We counted them. 444 books were in our house. And it kind of says, like, we have a library-esque. We've got, you know, a, a teacher and a pastor in the home. You know, there's this sense. We've got a lot of books in the place. And uh, so what, okay, so what is, what is your, think about your room. Think about something, you know, what, what does just whisper it to yourself or to the person next to you? What do the furnishings say about your space? Say, like, I'm a little bit messy. I, you know, we love, you know, we loved, we love to eat ramen. It's, it's all over the place. We, you know, it's, it's a sports theme. It's a, it says something. Overall, we got four, we got four dynamics. There's three separate rooms that the furnishings go in, but the first piece is this. Overall, the tabernacle experience tells the story of God's mercy and grace. So when you, when you total it, when you put the whole together, you're going to go, wow, God is dwelling in the midst of his people. His people get to encounter him. Whew, it is merciful. It is gracious. The people have access to God's life. 
They have access. It means, what it means is, we have not only, if we have access to God's life, who is God? God is, I am. God is eternal. Then we have access to eternal life. Wow. That, that, is, that is stinking cool. Um, and there's a sense that in the tabernacle, with intentionality, that God self-limited aspects of his presence. You know, God was present there, but there's a fullness that God held, held back on, a, a fullness that we get to experience through Jesus, a fullness that we get to experience through the, the Holy Spirit was not evidenced yet in the tabernacle. But even in that self-limitation, the people had this deep understanding of God's omnipresence and, and omnipotence. And in Psalm 139, it says, where can I go from your presence? You know, they knew that God's presence wasn't only localized in the tabernacle experience. If I go to the depths, you are there. If I go to the heights, you are there. If I go to the land, you are there. If I go to the sea, you are there. Even there, your right hand will guide me, will hold me fast. God is this ever-present sustainer of life. And so in, in the story of God, when I say the story, I mean, I mean the reality of God, God elevates those he's taken from the dust of the ground, us little dust bunnies, breathes the breath of life into us, animates us with spirit life, and appoints us to be the divine images of God, to represent God, to rule the creation that, that God has made. And then through the fall, boom, we blow it, and then God is about recreating and taking us back to that Eden experience that's lost because of folly, that's lost because of rebellion. And through Abraham, who would be the father of these Hebrew people, it still harkens back to Genesis chapter 12, that through this one family, we're going to restore the blessing of Genesis 1 and then you're going to share that with all the families of the earth so they can experience it as well. Here's a little outline of seven conversations, Exodus 25 through 27, because we're really covering a whole bunch of Scripture, but we'll just get an overview together. There are seven times in a conversation with Moses that God, that it says, then God said, then God said. And so every time after it says, then God said, this is what they converse about. You can see those different conversations that are taking place. Now, as you're looking at that, <clears throat> Basically, Exodus 25 through Exodus 31 are instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And then Exodus 35 through Exodus 40, it sounds like a direct repeat. It says, and then they did this, and then they did this. It's almost, almost word for word of what they were told to do because they did what God told them to do. And then in Exodus 32 through 34, roughly, you get this little interlude. It's like, oh, my stars, they built a golden image of a calf and worshiped it. In the middle of these instructions, oh, my goodness, what, what, what are the people doing? And, you know, they're, they're, just, they're just about to blow it. And then we see how God works with them. So there's three areas or three rooms, so to speak, where seven furnishings are to be found. One of those areas is called the outer courtyard. The furnishings you see here. We're going to get to that last. Another one of the areas is called the Holy of Holies. That's, that's the smallest space in the middle. We'll get to that in just a little bit. And we're going to begin by going to the place called the Holy Place. And in the Holy Place, there are three furnishings that are in the Holy Place. You're going to find the lampstand, the table of showbread, 
and the altar of incense. Now, as you're looking at these, we did our best to come up with, uh, you know, we did our best to come up with them. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a golden table. This is supposed to be 75 pounds. This is on a separate golden table. We just did it. We did come up with 12 loaves of bread. We did pull that one off. Uh, if, let, me, let me just read to you from Leviticus 24, verse 3. Outside the curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant, we'll get to that, in the tent of meeting, Aharon, I'm trying to say his name, uh, how the Hebrews said it, is to tend lamps before the Lord from evening till morning. Where have you heard that before? From evening till morning. That's a Genesis 1 throwback. Continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And when it says Aaron, uh, it doesn't just simply mean Aaron himself, but uh, a, the, those of you who watched that little skit about the substitute teacher, the substitute teacher was closer to right. He was almost pronouncing it the Hebrew correctly. Eharon is, is how you say that name. Uh, and to make sure that these lights never go out. Day and night were separated in day four. And by the way, day one and day four of creation mirror each other. Let there be light. And it shines upon these 12 loaves of bread. Where do we catch the number 12? You have the 12 tribes of Israel. This represents the people of God. And these loaves of bread are replaced every Sabbath. There's a sense of these don't last. Us dust bunnies don't last. I mean, we, we come and we go, and, and this bread, it, it comes and goes. Uh, and this light is to continually shine upon this bread. The light of God is to continually shine upon the people of God. And at the same time that that is taking place, this incense cantor is, is lifting up this sweet-smelling aroma. And, and what the Word of God says, this is to represent the prayers of the people. So the people of God are talking to God as God is illuminating and lighting their way and their life. And it is this wonderful, wonderful trio of conversation and relationship between the people of God and the Lord God Almighty. Let me, let me read you just a little more. Verse 6, arrange them in two stacks, six in each stack on the table of pure gold before the Lord. We went Dutch, and that's our best table. That's our best table, but it's not a pure gold table. Uh, verse 8, this bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. So the second dynamic that we learn about the furnishings in the holy place, the tabernacle experience, God's light is perpetually shining upon God's people. Is this your experience? Perpetual light. As the psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I might, I might not know what exactly I should do a year from now, but I know what my next two steps are because the word of God is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as I am continually conversing with the Lord and sending up conversation towards God, God is continually illuminating my path. I, I was looking up exactly, hey, what kind of what incense was used there? It's, it's a sweet, fragrant incense, and it lists a whole bunch of different spices that can be used. But basically, you ever just kind of go to TJ Maxx or Hobby Lobby and just go start sniffing the candles and seeing what you like? I think it was that way. It was like, oh, start, you know, what, what do you like? And they, they could mix, they could mix this oil together that was used here, and they use it all over the town. They just use it everywhere around in, in the tabernacle. I have found that my dear wife has a very 
particular uhs, like a, like a sea breeze or a cotton linen. That's those are acceptable, fragrant aromas. Um, there's other aromas that are too pungent, like oh, don't do don't do that one. So there's so you so those the, the priests were able to select the aroma. Um, so where's God illuminating your path? Let's do this for a minute. What light and direction is God shining upon your life, child of God? What decision is before you? And, and, and honestly, you're going, oh, God is shining two steps this way. Are you taking those steps? What attitude, what attitude are you this close to putting on? Because God's saying to put it on, but you got to take some steps that direction. It, it, it takes you being illuminated, children of God being illuminated by the, God's perpetually giving you his wisdom, and God is perpetually giving you his direction, especially as you are conversant to God through prayer. So there might be times, and this is how the Spirit of God is going to speak to us individually, there are times that the Lord is speaking to you in the direction and the wisdom of your life that there's something that you want to quit on that you're not supposed to quit on. You're supposed to stay put. You're supposed to stay faithful in that. And, and for some of us, God is saying, you need to move off of that. You need to move off of that because I am shining light this direction and it is a new day, and that is the direction we need to go. And for your obedience to be intact with the light that God is illuminating, that's where you go. And, and you know this because God has really shown his light in that direction. God shines perpetual light upon his people. That's a tabernacle experience when God dwells in your midst. So let's go to the next space that we're going to look at, the Holy of Holies. Exodus 25, verses 10 through 14. Have them make an ark of acacia wood. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out. Then make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. If you look around, you don't see an ark of the covenant on the platform. We just, we just didn't have the bank account to pull off the ark properly. We're going to go to the screen for that image in just a moment. We didn't think we could quite do it uh, justice with our replica models. Uh, but I want you to notice something. There's poles on each side of the ark to carry it. The ark is made to be mobile. It's made to, when it's time to go, it's time to go. Uh, it's like, uh, what, what do you have in your home that's like a go bag? You know, it's like, oh, hey, it's, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Some of you guys, it's your golf bag. Uh, my son, it's his disc golf bag. Uh, those of you who have children, you know, it's the, it's, it's the baby. It's the baby. Oh, it's my go bag right there. I'm ready to go. What, what is it? that winds up being important enough that, that you have a go bag for. And, I, and this is, again, it goes hand in hand. When God moves, whoop, we're ready to go. We're on the move as well. Verse 17. Oh, okay, here's, here's what's really interesting because oftentimes we think of the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark. It's actually two pieces of furniture that are put together. So now what's gonna be described is the lid, uh, known as either the mercy seat or the atonement lid, the name winds up being interchanged. Make an atonement cover of pure gold. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and make two cherubim, those are angels, out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. 
and if I, if I did my math right, it's about 11 and a half feet by six and a half feet, if you're wondering. And you're going to begin to see some images of, of the ark and the mercy seat. Now, on the ark, you're going to notice there's, there's a couple of cherubim, angels there. And, and here's something that's really interesting that gets to the dynamic that we're going to understand about what it means to, to tabernacle with God. Uh, when you walk into the Holy of Holies, there's a curtain. There's two angels on those curtains to get into that space. When you come from the outer courtyard into the holy place, there's another curtain. Two angels are on that curtain. Everywhere you go, there's these heaven-meets-earth kind of creatures that are guardians at the doorway that are the servants of the Lord in those settings. Um, it winds up saying in Exodus 25, a little bit later, above the cherubim, I will meet with you. And, and, and God is speaking this to Moses while he's on the mountain, actually in the presence of God in this fire. Like, so when you go there, the presence you see here, that, that presence is going to be there as well. The, the same presence that where God met Moses in the burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3, and he says, you know, go, go to Pharaoh, I'm, I'm sending you. The same presence that was in the tree of life that, that Adam and Eve would encounter that would impart life to them. Um, and inside the ark, one, one of the objects uh, inside the ark were the two tablets of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And this is really interesting. Uh, you, you may know this because we've mentioned it on occasion, but I always thought for years, oh, you know, you had uh, commandments one through five on one and, you know, roughly six through ten on the other. Probably not. Most likely, all ten commandments are on each, each one of the covenants. And so each of the partners in that covenant relationship, so God would have a copy and the people would have a copy. And you know why they're together? Because God and the people are together. That's so stinking cool. It's so stinking cool. And so we're just going to put in the ark because wherever God goes, the people are going to go, and we've all got our copies of the covenant together. Woohoo! Yeah, that way we're so stinking cool. Um, so above this, I will meet with you. What is that? That's that is the throne of God. And here's here's where so we're doing some some recap in regards to what the ark of the covenant is. But now let's do some contrast to the difference that the people of God are experiencing their worship of God to what the idolatrous nations are experiencing in their worship of God. Because there are, on the surface, there are some similarities from one culture to the next, but it doesn't take you long. You don't even have to go far below the surface and go, oh my stars, what the Israelites are doing is wildly different than the nations around, just wildly different. Because in every other nation, let's say you go into Marduk's temple or you go into Dagon's temple, you're gonna see an image of Marduk. You're gonna see an image of Dagon. You ain't gonna see an image of God. It is the invisible presence of God. Really cool. So who is there in that moment? There is a priest there. You, God has already made the image. You are the image of God. You are the image of God as you walk with God. There's no reason to make any other images. God gets to make the images that God desires, and you have been fashioned in that sense. Um, so, Ezekiel and Isaiah wind up having these visions of God when they're in temple experiences, temple tabernacle experiences. So, Here's the third dynamic that we learn in the Holy of Holies. In tabernacle experience, you draw closer and closer to God's proximity and presence. I mean, there's a sense that you move from one area to the next area to the next area, and you get closer 
and closer to God. Just, just ask the question, are you doing that? In this season, in this chapter of your life, where you're at right now, is there a sense that you are closer and walking more directly with God than you were in the last season, in the last chapter of your life? That's God's deep desire for you. As you ponder that, let's, let's hear what Isaiah says as he encounters God in this temple tabernacle experience. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, says Isaiah. He was seated on his throne, high and exalted. And surrounding him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they covered their faces, and with two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voice, smoke filled the temple. The doorposts began to shake, and I cried, woe is me, I am ruined. For I am a person of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. And with that, one of the angels went to the altar, haven't got to this yet, and took live coals with tongs, and with it touched my mouth, touched my lips, and say, see, your sin and guilt is atoned for and taken away. And then the voice of the Lord spoke, so who's going to go? Whom shall I send? And the response was, here am I. Send me. Praise God. There is a sense, friends, as we recap just quickly before we move on, that the experience of tabernacling and drawing closer to God and being led by God is something that is filled with such incredible mercy and grace in our lives. Let's go to the outer courtyard. Chapter 38, build an altar of acacia wood, and they've already been told to build it. They did build it. They put horns at each of the four corners. We don't have horns on our altar, but they had horns on theirs. And they made a, a bronze basin as well. So we've got, we've got a bronze bird bath, and we've got a bronze fire pit. That's, that's what we're using. And if you know the name of this little creature right here, lamb chop. Lamb chop's just going to stay right there. But we're going to talk about, about don't, don't worry, don't, don't fret over lamb chop. Just lamb chop's going to stay right there. And uh, so this was a place for hand washing. And there was a big basin at the bottom of this for foot washing as well. And this was basically a big old grill. A big old hunkin' grill is what that was. Um, it would fully consume all types of sacrifices. So we have all, like our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, we've all gone and made selfish grabs. We've taken things that don't belong to us. We've, we've had rebellious spirits. And when we do those selfish grabs, what does it do? It creates distance between God and us, and it creates distance between one another. Because then when God comes, Adam and Eve hide <laughs> after they make the selfish grab. We, uh, you know, we don't draw near to God. We, woo, run away. And then we start blaming each other for the problems that, that we face, like, just like Adam and Eve did. And because they said, I am, I am naked and I am ashamed, like you, you see me fully, God covered over their shame with animal skins. There was an animal sacrifice that was made. 
to cover over selfish grabs, foolish choices, rebellious spirits. And even from the beginning of that moment, and what God is going to do now for generations and generations and generations, what we begin to learn as we enter into the tabernacle experiences, the fourth dynamic, in tabernacle experience, sacrifice must be made by humans to enter God's presence. So, we're not going to go into all the, de- there's all kinds of different sacrifices, there's all kinds of different offerings. We're focused on the furnishings today. But this is a piece of furniture that was made to receive sacrifice. This is a piece of furniture that is made to cleanse. And they sit right beside each other. Sacrifice and cleansing. And what happens in the sacrifice that's made, a substitute that is innocent can be a, represent- be a representative for me. Make sense? A substitute that is innocent can be a representative for me. And so pounded into the head, in the minds and the hearts of the people of God, when we hit that suffering servant motif is like, oh, so when Jesus shows up, an innocent one who is my representative can make the sacrifice for me to enter the presence of God. It just fits. It's just right there. Um, so in this moment I, I, I want to say this we're, we're coming to the point that we'll give you a little charge a little challenge it's going to feel like Ooh! in this moment just can you just say thank you in your spirit to the very son of God for making that sacrifice to you can you just say thank you in your spirit and maybe you're going to be saying thank you for the first time maybe as you say thank you in your spirit you say thank you Lord God Almighty, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to be, and he's known as the lamb, to be the sacrificial lamb. So the sacrifice for all people of all times so that I can enter into your presence. So I can enter your presence on this side of eternity and experience abundant life, and I can experience eternity in your presence with a resurrected body, a full mind, a full spirit that can inhabit your eternal presence. Praise God Almighty for that. And I tell you what, if now's the moment for you to cross that line of faith, you just do it in your heart, you do it in your spirit, you pray it right now, you sing your guts out as we, as we conclude this service, and the angels in heaven rejoice. God has made a way where there seems to be no way. Will you stand and rise to your feet? And I just want to speak these things over you right now. Spaces tell a story. And, and, and the furnishings in the tabernacle shaped the people of God. And these concepts continue to shape us today. The tabernacle is a thing of beauty. And, and God is created with such beauty and order. And every time we make selfish grabs, we create chaos. We vandalize the beautiful things that God desires to place. And then as we vandalize them, God, God says, would you, would you follow my light? Would you let me cleanse you? Would you make a sacrifice of your mind and your heart and your spirit all over again to me? And then I can use you as my royal representative to begin to put this world back in place again? A sacrifice must be made to be in the presence of God, and that's been made. God intends you to get closer and closer and closer, and his light is going to illuminate your path. 
And God is filled with mercy and grace for his children, for his people, for you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you are here and you have been. That you meet with us in this moment. May we tabernacle with you. Lord, as you desire to meet with us and connect. Lord, for those who are saying right now, Lord, forgive me. I want to follow you. We rejoice with the angels for that. Lord, and may we be ready to follow just as, just as the people that surrounded the tabernacle would follow as your spirit moved. May we follow as you lead. Thank you for the work that you have done, you are doing, and will do in our midst. Lord, we rejoice. We can't wait. Lord, you are great, you are mighty, and we are thankful. And all God's people would say amen. God is good.